0: Welcome to episode two of the Colton Culture Podcast. I'm Justin Pearson.
1: And I'm Luke Hinshaw. And once again, we're at Penguin Studios in San Diego, California. Today's episode, we're talking about vinyl records, their album covers, and their distinctive styles, I guess. Yeah. Right? Maybe like
0: sort of a linear um, influence by certain labels and certain
1: artists. I want to stress like the connection between the actual artistry that goes behind the album covers themselves and the different shapes and designs of the vinyl records that the fans feel a connection to the
0: artists and the bands and such like that yeah this this might be a tangent but a lot of it is i think is interesting because um i think younger people don't have a connection to artwork, you know, where they'll just kind of have an mp3 um, And it's and it's sort of this sort of like I don't know like this To me non-existent thing, you know, like it doesn't really physically tangibly exist uh, And probably for both of us. I mean, I'm sure for both of us like growing up Like as kids like just obsessing over records I mean, I would just look at covers and just be enthralled with the details. Yeah, I agree but even like people will like often write me and say can we have the lyrics to um you know this retox album and i'm like mm. well if you bought it you you got the lyrics and they're like oh well we and you know I'm, I'm assuming like they downloaded it illegally but then they're like well i got it off itunes i there's just no way to get the lyrics yeah. so i mean i don't know i mean that's especially being like a singer in bands or whatever i've always been interested in knowing what the person's singing and if you buy it download chances are you're not going to get, you're going to get the cover maybe, but not the liner notes, you know, Mm -hmm. not the, not the details to it. So, um, yeah, I think it's something that's very important, but also like, I mean, when I was younger, like just obsessing over like bands, like, you know, the dead Kennedys and the sex pistols and, and and just looking at photos, you know, like and looking at the artwork that kind of was attached to it says something more. It, it sets up, I mean, yeah, there's the music and there's the style of the music, but there's also the style of the art and there's things that are influencing, I think as an overall entity of what a band or an album is. Yeah. Um, so then that would bring us into what our next podcast is about with Sonny K. Um f- so for me it was I was always obsessing over Gravity Records and things like that, which Sonny has a relationship with through his band Angel Hair. Um and so I was um constantly like just kind of tripping out on like the way that the packaging and the artwork was and it was always something special and and this is kind of strange th- or interesting that you brought up like the marketing of your current seven inch where back then there was no way to market it <laughs> you know there was no yeah uh, there was no internet and so it was like so much more special when you were like in a record store and you saw you know the angel yeah. hair seven inch or the heroin seven inch in the paper bag on the shelf and you just were like what the hell is this this is so crazy and weird and so um yeah I mean I, I think like it would kind of bring in this whole like lineage of things that, that would influence, um, a, a culture of, of, of people who are into records and music and vinyl. Um, but it also it really influenced me, um, I guess with the Locust specifically, cause we put, put out so yep. many records through GSL. And so there was like, uh, the, the, eventually ended up becoming like the puzzle record and and things like that but using like spot gloss and using um different elements that i think a lot of people don't use and a lot of bigger labels impressing plants don't even consider yeah um, just making it interesting and special uh, on a neck on another level yeah i agree without further ado here's our conversation with sonny k <laughs> Here we are with Sonny Kay, um, I guess we would say legendary singer and owner of GSL. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Do you want to run through uh, your resume for, for a second, for people that aren't aware?
1: Sure, yeah. Uh, I founded uh, GSL in college in 1993 and uh, ran it until ran it into the ground in 2007, <laughs> um, and then I uh, was the Art director for Rodriguez Lopez Productions from uh, about 2008 to for about five years. And then uh, creative director at Sargent House Records, kind of simultaneous to that. And then um, it's kind of on and off a little bit ever since. Um, a freelance d- design, graphic designer and artist for the past 10 years. In all of your bands? Okay, uh, so yes, uh, Savalas Angel Hair. You just looked past all that stuff, <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> by <yeah>. the way. <laughs> uh, well, they i do not they don't—they're—they're—they're—they're not like jobs, really. they were uh, Yeah, I think of them differently. Um, yeah, so, so Savalas Angel Hair, the VSS, Your Future Optional Body, subpoena the past. Subpoena the past. Sorry,
0: yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, cool. So, I guess. Um, it's weird because a, a lot of stu- a lot of stuff I, I I hear I always hear that like Angel Hair was from San Diego and I and it's obviously yeah. the gravity uh, thing but um so how did that come about like your relationship with gravity and then I mean I guess why do you think people I guess it's pre internet so maybe that's why people outside of San Diego
1: or well I've, and the records are for the most part recorded here or at least the ones that Matt put out on uh-huh. okay. recorded here so it gave me the the impression that we're probably from here yeah. Um, well, I met them, met Matt, I met Heroin when Savalas played here in 1992. We, we, uh, so we, I found out about Heroin in Boulder from a kid from the Bay Area whose mom lived in Boulder and he came at Christmas one year and like brought, brought all these records, told me about Heroin and we were getting ready to do the Savalas, first Savalas tour. So how old were you? I would have been about 19. Okay. And, uh, Bob and Savalas wrote... A letter to the address for heroin on this on the Vinyl Communications record, and then a few weeks later, we got a letter back from Scott. So this is before Gravity. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was like probably like right around the start of it. Okay. Um, I think by the time we came out in spring at spring break, like a few months later, that paper bag record was just coming out. Okay. So we got this letter back from Scott, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll set up a show for you guys." So we we played at the Che with them with heroin, and then I sort of was just. Yeah, it was before the internet, so I didn't really stay in touch with them. The following summer, I came out with my girlfriend just kind of on a road trip, and, like, we just, I was like, well, I don't know where to go, we'll just go to Encinitas, because it's cool there, and then we got there, and and Scott was walking up the street, and and we kind of, like, looked at each other, and I was like, oh, hey, what's up, man, and and then, like, ten minutes later, we were, like, on our way to his house to crash out, and, like, wound up staying there for a few days, and... They were just, like, recording the click demo tape then. Okay. And he was like, yeah, I've got this new band, and we're going to go on tour. And so a few months later, over Christmas, they came to Boulder and then broke down in Colorado. Um, yeah. And so we're there for three days, and that's when I, like I kind of, like, had Matt to myself kind of uh-huh. thing. But oh, Matt like, was with click Matt was with them selling okay. stuff. And, like, and so we just, you know, I was, like, listen to this Angel Hair song that we yeah. did with this other drummer who was, like, Paul had quit for a little while. and We did one song with another dude. And anyway, it wasn't even that good, but he was into it and, and invited us to record when we came out the following spring break, which would have been two years after the first one with Savalas. Okay. So two years later, we came back with Angel Hair. Sure. And made that first the record at the first the EP on Gravity. We recorded at uh, Bob Barley's place. You recorded with Bob? No, we recorded at his place Oh, with, at with his... Matt. Oh, with Matt. <clears throat> OK. Yeah.
0: Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, actually, Matt Anderson recorded uh, the first Swing Kid song at Bob's house, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's strange how you how that, that whole... I guess because of heroin the, and... and um, yeah, and he didn't really have a place yet. It, and then, yeah. And in
1: fact, I wasn't... We weren't really that happy with the vocals. because They'd been kind of rushed. Mm-hmm. And so a month later, I, or a couple of weeks later, I flew, flew back and we actually redid the vocals in the house on 5th, whatever. Oh, fourth, yeah. 4th fourth, fourth Street, 5th yeah. Street or whatever. Uh-huh. Just in his bedroom. Wow. <laughs> All of them. For the seven inch yeah those uh-huh. four songs
0: so um i think like an interesting thing about that record would be yours and matt's artistic um ideas and stuff i mean it's 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 loaded yeah <laughs> you know what i'm <laughs> saying like it was really like the that was like the start of a lot of like really interesting packaging because i mean i'm sure it's i'm sure there's stuff before that but for the most part it was kind of everything was kind of i mean there was like ebullition which had like a, its own style but i remember when like that 7-inch came out and the paper bag 7-inch him yeah. the Antioch Arrow and the, yeah. I mean the, um and the Antioch Arrow record, but the uh, Angel Hair, the Heroin
1: 7-inch, I guess the Antiac Arrow and then there was one other, Well, it was yeah. like, all these He things, did a bunch or... of them, like in <clears throat> the time between that paper bag record, he put out the John Henry West record. Oh, in the, okay, and there was a and Born uh, Against. Uh, Born uh, Against yeah. U.O.A. record. And those two records were in those those envelopes. Yeah. And so he was sort of like, yeah, do the envelope thing, but like switch it up. Make it, oh, and so it was it's his idea. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. like, you know, he was he was like, I feel like it's getting repetitive already. Yeah, like if you want to do, he's like, I print them myself, so we can do something different. You can do so, color if you want. Uh-huh. So he was just silk screening. No, not no. It kind of looks like that, but no, they were printed on an offset press. Oh. Through, so, but like, it, you know, it's weird to like. I don't think they usually run a whole finished envelope through press. You no. usually run a flat piece of paper sure. and then it's finished later. So, um, but he was printing them like that, taking finished <laughs> en- envelopes. I don't know, cutting the tops off or whatever, and then printing them color by color on the offset press that way. And so did it, I don't know how many, it's like four or five colors. It must have taken a long time to do. Sure. Whose idea was that, his? Kind of both. I I can't, I think it was probably his, because I feel like he, I mean, he definitely gave me the green light to do the color. He was Uh like, didn't want it to just be black and white. Yeah. As far as what the art was and stuff, he was like, it's, you know, it's entirely your thing. So I remember like making it at Kinko's or whatever and sending him sort of a not really a color key, but like an overlay thing. For uh-huh. it. And uh,
0: Kinko's had the different color co- color copier options back then, too. Red uh, and blue? Y- y- well, actually,
1: not where we live. In Boulder, uh-huh. Kinko's didn't. If you wanted color, you had to go to this place called Business Express. Uh-huh. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> no, but I sent it to him uh, black and white, but just like, you know, was like, this is the, you know, this, is, this could be a warm layer. I don't even think I called out colors. I was like, oh, Ma- sure. maybe make it warm, red or uh-huh. orange maybe make it blue or something. And so he wound up doing the blend. Okay. Like not, you know, like the blend was definitely his idea. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, I guess it is like a pretty good like cross section of, of both of us. Sure. But, and then there
0: was the album artwork, which was totally different. And yeah. Also awesome. I mean, it had like copper or something in it. Like, oh, like metallic. ink metal- Metallic. Metallic, yeah, ink, yeah I mean- which
1: is like slightly bittersweet because it's supposed to be two words but it's one where she's oh, like, yeah, sure. gotten grief about it for years so, so much, who whatever. who's like who did the layout to it so I got the so I chose the photo uh-huh. um, which was like a, the cells right yeah, yeah and it just was a you know like was writing lyrics about that kind of stuff anyway yeah. and like Julie and I had been over at her parents house and her sister was really small at the time and had this uh, book like a science book or something Whoa. and that was a picture in it that was open <laughs> on, the, on the table or whatever uh-huh. and I was like that's a, the perfect picture or whatever so I I don't know I don't I don't know if I would have been able to scan it I feel like I probably mailed Matt the book or uh-huh. something well yeah and um, was like this is what I want for the front I and mean, it should be cool if it was the same both sides so you could just keep turning it over and it's just like a reverse thing uh-huh. and um, you know it was kind of I think maybe probably suggested metallic ink of some kind so but but it was he laid it out and everything and like did a great job with the exception of the thing the, you know, <laughs> yeah the name being wrong but.
0: Stylistically, though, it was such a crazy contrast to the first seven. I thought, oh, I thought it was brilliant. Thanks. Yeah, it was cool. great. Um, and then,
1: so you recorded everything with Matt. Uh, from that point on, yeah, yeah. The first stuff we recorded in Denver at this place called Time Capsule, which we actually went back and recorded the VSS stuff at later. Oh, okay. But um, And some, well, some VS, Matt recorded some VSS stuff too. But uh, yeah, I mean, we either, from that point on, it was either here at Gravity, Bankers Hill, or whatever, yeah. or... or or a time capsule. Endeavor. Wow.
0: Okay. So then we were talking earlier about like the time span of bands. So it's just, you it ran its time a couple of years and yeah. you moved on to the VSS was after that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, <clears throat> yeah. Angel hair was like lasted like, you know, barely two years in a month or something, you know, yeah. two or three months or something. And it, uh, kind of, was was, it felt premature at the time because we were just sort of hitting our stride sure. kind of. Yeah. Um, and didn't like, I didn't want the bend to end and give that up because I felt like Annie and I had really like, you know, committed ourselves for a couple years to make this thing happen. Sure. To really to make it work and went through tons of people and stuff and finally like got to a point where it was you know, um, providing us with some kind of satisfaction of, sure. on some level, and people were enjoying it, and, like, we were on a cool label and everything, and, like, so to have the rug kind of pulled out from under us with Paul felt weird, but, it just, you know, having said that, there was personal stuff going on in the band with other pe- with with some of those relationships, so, like, the band ending was kind of convenient, okay. too. And but yeah. it also, too, like, leads... It, I feel like for a lot of our
0: our era bands or gro- when we were growing up, short-lived bands, you know, even like other bands like Born Against and, and yeah. stuff, it's like, you know, the the, the, the couple-year lifespan that these bands had yeah. were only, like, kind of made it more, uh, like, s- obscure and in a sense yeah. a little bit more special because a lot of people, would, like, um, wish they had seen it or, you know, yeah. it, it was, it was like, c- cooler, I guess, yeah. more more mysterious, you know. Yeah. So for me with Angel Hair, it's funny because... Um, the only time I'd never <clears throat> got to see Angel Hair that you played at Tang Records, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I was going, uh, I was so psyched to see you guys play and I remember uh, I was with Jose Palafox and we ended up getting arrested and not making it to the show. <laughs> um, but uh, So then that was it. And I was like, oh, that band's done and you know, and that was... The... You didn't see that any other time we played her? I think, I think if you had played, I wasn't like in the know okay. or maybe I was on <clears throat> tour too or something. Yeah. Um, but that was like the only chance I remember. And, and we had issue. we all had issues with Tang because They sold like yeah. screwdriver records and stuff like that. But, um, we got we, a discount on those. Yeah. <laughs> we, it's funny. Cause Jose didn't really, I don't think he really was that into that kind of stuff. St- like, like the gravity stuff, but he wanted to go and like, just fuck the store up, you know? And yeah. I was like, that's cool. Like <laughs> I want to see this band and you can go like shoplift or, or like break, you know, racist records or whatever. Um, that's but awesome. yeah, we didn't make it to the show. Um, But it was cool because, I mean, it's a bummer that I didn't get to see it, but it made it like, once it was gone, it was like, man, like it made it, maybe made it so much more cooler, you know? And I mean, I would trip out on things like how you guys hard panned the guitars and you could like, Mm. there was so much for me, like musicianship happening because I was used to like, all right, the the guitars and the bass are going to follow the same riff. And there was not a lot to it, you know? I mean, I think we were still in... and struggle, or if swing kids, kind of the similar thing, like one guitar. And I mean, there wasn't a lot more to like what you would hear from just putting the record sure, on. Sure, yeah. So I, I, would trip out on like hard panning it, you know, yeah.
1: and whatever. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, I think the musician, the musicianship in both bands, particularly we're talking about Angel Hair. Like, I, I think like that's what caught Matt's attention. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It's definitely not like me pinning him down in the house for three days like showing him the lyrics or something <laughs> yeah, like that you know what I mean it was yeah. like those guys are really good and they have a really cool unique combination of styles yeah. and stuff and then with Paul I mean the whole thing was just like pretty kind of formed sure. from the get go you know once yeah. once Josh showed up that kind of just like everything gelled around that of course and so uh, yeah I mean I guess that's I think that's probably why people even still listen to those records now because like that they're good they hold
0: up for sure i mean a lot of that stuff of that time you're kind of like yeah maybe maybe i would listen to a record for nostalgia but if you listen to it uh, in this day it would still be like i think musically relevant you know which is which is rad yeah it's awesome so it's it's crazy because i remember like i did like i think um swing kids did our first like real like sort of tour and we, we we were coming back um from like the east uh, we never even made it to the east coast but we may come back from like Michigan Fest or something and we played at your house and it yep. was the first VSS show and it was really a lot it's crazy it was like I think out of all the tours I've done there was like it was like the VSS show and maybe like an Airborne Radar show it was like there was so much anticipation because hmm. uh, there was all these people saying like the, the new angel hair band they sound like the cramps and I was like what? Like <laughs> this is gonna be the best thing ever you know and, and there was all and you know I remember like going to your house and going to your basement and you had like um, I think you had all the amps lined like with red fabric mm-hmm. and I was like holy shit, you know, like it was like a, there was like special, it was, you know, it's kind of yeah. like buying the seven inch and you're like, whoa, this is like printed and like it's in an envelope, you know, yeah. so you're like looking at this band, you're like, fuck, they have like this special stuff already, yeah. you know, before they even started. Yeah. And, and Titari also played too and yeah. maybe it was their first show or, or something. Uh,
1: I think it was their yeah. first show actually. So we right. were so
0: psyched, yeah. you know, we were like, God, this is like such an uh, honor, right. you know, to play right. and like to see all this cool shit before anybody else is able to and so um, that was like, I mean, I was like, I was obsessed, you know. At uh, that point, I was like, "Damn, oh, wow. there was so, so much cool shit." And I see why people would have, at that time, made like a Cramps uh, mm-hmm. reference, I guess. Uh, you know, a lot of reverb and and, and stuff, a lot yeah. of delay on the vocals, or whatever. It was it was definitely a departure from like hardcore, you know. And, sure. And
1: so, I don't know. I mean, you, I mean, you want to talk about that and how it came about? Sure. I mean. I- I mean the cramps thing. First of all, when you said that, I immediately think of Dave. and Dave's aesthetic, the, the aesthetic that he still kind of has, which is this sort of like you know, sort of like goth, gigolo kind of <laughs> dude. You know what I mean? And like I, I can sort could of see... Nick Knox ish. Yeah, yeah, I okay. mean, yeah, m- yeah. And uh, I wouldn't put put it past him to be the person who would who would have been saying that that night at the show, or uh-huh. like at starting that room. Well, he didn't say it. I think it was like other people saying. But uh, like, well, well I mean, yeah, it could have it could have started. With him, <laughs> but I mean. There was definitely, first of all, yeah, there was definitely like a, a conscious thing of like not trying to be hardcore band, uh-huh. um, sort of more. And embri- we were already kind of tired of hardcore and yeah. like not to knock Kent or anything like that, but the, the heart attack kind of puritan part sure. of it was mm-hmm. already just everybody was boring to it. us. Yeah, yeah. and um, I mean that's what the Angel Hair record is about. That's uh-huh. what the lyrics are all about. Oh, you really? Know? Like uh-huh. a lot of it. Uh-huh. Um I listen to that record and I just think of heart attack <laughs> and think about like it's about that stuff. It's not, the, it's yeah. a, you know what I mean? It's not for it. It's about it. Yeah. And, um, so it's strange that it, that it was embraced by the, that world. Would you still think it was? I mean, Angel Hair was like, at, like six months after we were over, we were like best new, like second to best new band or something in the reader's poll, I think. Uh-huh. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, really flattering and so ironic. Cause there was our, we were six months into the next band. Yeah, you know? sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, for we, we, you know, like when Dave was start when the Viesta started, Dave had, wasn't had never played drums, and was a really accomplished guitar player, and had been our roadie and angel hair, and wanted to be in this new thing, uh-huh. and we wanted to just switch everything up, and so like he was like, "Well, I'll play drums and everything. I'll just teach myself," and we thought that was cool, and there was no real, there was wasn't anybody else around to play drums, uh-huh. and we knew that it would kind of like make the sound primitive because he didn't know how to play drums. He oh, was going to learn. Wow. And we were replacing this guy who was like flawless, <laughs> you know what I mean? And super technical and everything. And so a bunch of that whole thing with the lights and everything like that, like as much as we owned it over the over time and made it better and all that stuff. At first, it was just this kind of bravado to, 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 to like cover for the fact that we knew we wouldn't be that good. Huh. You know what I mean? Like technically speaking, we were like, I mean, Andy was great. Don't get me wrong. Andy was in the band from the beginning uh-huh. and he's like a... a you know, he's like a virtuoso musician, and jo- you know Josh is a great musician as well. But those two together, like you know, their 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 talents sort of like stoked each other. Sure. You know, and like, I mean, you can reference that Cramps is the same thing because the beat was always just like very simple, but yeah. there was like
0: cool like two guitars making some strange. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, so. exactly. And I it's guess. got.
1: I mean, their next their their later band like you know, Slaves and Pleasure mm-hmm. Forever has a kind of swampy sort of thing. Huh. That I think you could compare the cramp. I don't think the VSS had that uh-huh. per se. I mean the VSS like when we started PIL we, or yeah, something. Yeah, I mean we when we started, like we were all I mean, Dave now makes the point that we were all listening to really different stuff all the time and that's true. Uh-huh. Everybody had their favorite things, but I mean, as a band we were definitely into into metal box. Yeah, I could see that. I was obsessed with like pleasure principle era Gary Newman. Uh-huh. Um so was Andy. Like, yeah. we loved those records. Two way Army and stuff. Yeah. And so that's, the to me, that's, like, the starting point for yeah. that stuff. Huh. Plus, you know, not to not to say that Angel Hair wasn't a factor in it, too, or other. Yeah. You know, like, other bands that were happening at the time a, a little bit. And so so Angel Hair, I
0: mean, Angel Hair was ahead of its time. VSS was clearly ahead of its time, because I remember fucking everyone talking shit about you guys and, like, making fun, and it was like, <coughs> and, then it, and then, like...
1: You know, it was weird. It was. It, yeah, but I don't think we would have ever had the nerve to like do the keyboard. I mean, and I could see Andy probably doing it. Andy, Andy was a was a proper trained musician and he played piano already. But like, I felt like we got the green light for having a keyboard from Antioch Arrow. Sure, I mean, but there was
0: never an issue. It's weird. There's never an issue with with Antioch Arrow. Like, no one ever like felt compelled to like ridicule them. You know,
1: I, I think. Well, yeah, and I can't say what why exactly Maybe because they were like you know i don't know may, like it seems
0: sketchier or something maybe
1: and, and it was like the whole thing was such a wall of noise and the keyboard seemed like such an afterthought it was just this thing that was kind of plugged in and like making sound yeah. while the rest of the stuff was going on whereas with us like um i think at the very beginning we we weren't using a keyboard. the, the first show you played you had he just played bass he so just the, played bass yeah. but i remember like I have this mental image of being at the fireside bowl and like having, having having this keyboard be out there before we played, like playing itself. Uh Like he set some like arpeggiated uh loop or something. And like that just went on for five or 10 minutes. And then we played and out of that evolved, like having it in the songs pretty fast. Yeah. Like, but, um, and then you, and then
0: you also had like a controller set up for the lights, which yeah tell me about that. Like, how did that come about? Um, <clears throat> it was cool aesthetically for sure.
1: Yeah. So it kind of like, uh, I can't remember what, I can't remember if at the very beginning there was like, so I would run the vocal, I would run the vocals through a guitar pedal. What was it, it? Delay or something? A DOD delay pedal. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but it would, I, you know, I brought, they would break and yeah. I kind of ha- inherited different ones from sure. different people. But I think it was always basically a, de- a delay pedal. Yeah. And, um camera i think at the very start of the band we were using it right away so it i'm guessing at the start we had some kind of lights and some kind of thing i mean you know josh was really good with elect with electrical stuff and so he would build these light rigs um <clears throat> that kind of evolved from just like clip-on things on a you know on a metal on a like a wooden stick or uh-huh. something to like actually being encased in a box that would close to protect them sure and we can travel with them and yeah. stuff and so uh, the problem with the foot switches is like in the in the heat of the moment in a show or whatever, just stomping on the switch, This they're super flimsy, you know? and yeah. so we're just breaking them constantly yeah. and having to replace them. And so the solution to that was to create this this thing that, you know, kind of from a distance like look like a keyboard stand or something, uh-huh. <clears throat> and have the guitar pedal on there to be able to control the vocal effects and stuff, and have these... What be- he graduated to using light switches, switches instead yeah. of foot switches uh-huh. and that obviously just became way easier to use yeah. and like way better reaction time or whatever yeah. and then like actually could like play them like uh-huh. an instrument, you know and so it kind of like synced them up a little bit better so,
0: yeah That's like, great so you're taking like a, a light person, you know and making it the singer's job Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly wow. and it kind of
1: gave me I felt like it gave me more to do Uh you know it kind of like i I felt like i was playing the lights sort of sure like uh you know and and could sort of like even though it never really was very coherent or planned or or rehearsed even like trying to like do some kind of thing where the lights and the vocal effects made some kind of sense together sure so at
0: this time are you doing
1: gsl already
0: yeah um
1: uh, I and st- what was the first release you put out? Okay, so it's uh, the first. The first record came out in October of '93. So that would have been five months before we recorded that "EB for Gravity." Okay. Oh, so it was. It's. It was a while before. F- yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean. Yeah. I mean, and I mean,
0: but- I think a lot of people know like
1: GSL was uh, Guaranteed Student Loan. Guaranteed Stafford Loan. Oh, Stafford Loan. Um, which was like a sp- specific kind of student yeah. loan. And then you, and then you, why yeah, did you so. call it? Just like a fuck you, like, to Well, Well, because like, so I, so when I got into the University of Colorado, I applied for financial aid because I needed it or, you know, I mean, I had a job and everything, but I couldn't really support myself. And, um, uh, so they, so because of my parents' income or something like, you know, I qualified for a lot more money than I would, than I really needed to live. And that the first, the first semester I didn't take it. I was like, that's just like why I take money I don't need. Uh-huh. And by the, you know, by the following semester, like I started in the spring of 92, of 93. Uh, I can't, now maybe, I started, anyway, whatever. By the fall of 93, uh-huh. I was like, I'm taking that money this time <laughs> yeah. because I had all these you know, lofty ideas of what I could do. It wasn't do. financial aid. It was a loan, right? So you had to pay it back. Yes, okay. exactly. And so um, I would, I got some Pell Grants and stuff too. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, they the lion's share of it was a loan. Sure. And so it was a guaranteed Stafford loan. And so uh-huh. I thought, oh, it'll be really funny to take this money and call a record label that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't that funny for that long. <laughs> Did it actually say, like, Guaranteed. No, I oh. always just put GSL. Oh, I okay. started out putting GSL records. Uh-huh. And then um, I remember having a long discussion with Matt once because he never used the word records. Yeah. It just always said gravity. Yeah, And he was like, I hate putting records because it totally puts you in this box. You can only put out records. And I was like, oh, I never really thought of it like that. I just think it's, you know, yeah, it just is kind of generic because yeah. everyone says that. Yeah. so from that, that's kind of how I got the laboratories idea was like, well, I don't want to call it, like, what if we just call it something that's not even, doesn't, doesn't even sound like a record. Label, yeah, sure. You know? And I remember outgrowing the guaranteed Stafford loan thing and thinking like, well, even if I just keep calling it GSL, I want it to mean something, I want to be able to tell people it means something yeah. cooler. I remember like spending this whole first VSS tour just sitting in the van, just just thinking like scribbling down ideas what of what mean. it could what it could mean. And then VSS didn't mean anything, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, not really, like, uh-huh. um, because I was confused as like he's
1: got all these freaking weird initials. Yeah, things. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because some of them are like some of them are my own initials and my dad's initials and uh-huh. stuff. It's like this big weird uh-huh. like melee, but yeah, no, the the, the VSS really didn't mean anything. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, it, the name did evolve out of this phrase that somebody had written in a letter. I had a bunch of foreign pen pals with trade records and stuff uh-huh. with, and and so it did evolve out of something there and like at the time i had foolishly mentioned it i had told a couple of friends just like absent-mindedly like not thinking it was important yeah and before I knew it, it was like showing up on flyers saying that. And I was like, oh man, like the cat, we had to, you know, everyone, the whole band, we were like, we got to squash this because it's dumb and like, we don't really want it to mean that. You oh, like, like the meaning was, yeah. was on the flyers. Yeah. Oh, the wow. The full words that we, had, oh, that we that really, had, yeah. had, you know, I had told somebody just who was a friend who yeah. happened to put on shows and yeah. she made a flyer for the mm-hmm. show, the next show she did and was just like, yeah, you know, and I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, like we so we don't talk about that. Yeah, I mean decade. it's it's, cause it's just misleading <laughs> let's it, and yeah. it's just like sure, that's keep it more it's, mysterious. It's, yeah, it's yeah. You can do here. It's, it's you can google it.
0: So it's weird like um okay, so I don't really know how we became I mean like we played the show together and then the locust happened but I don't know how how did we end up like maybe I think I asked you to distribute something. you had done you had started Bottleneck, maybe. Yeah, started yeah. And then somehow you were like, let me just put out a Locus record. Because I was like kind of shocked
1: that you would be interested. See, I remember you, I remember it as you guys asking me and me being surprised that you wanted me to do it. No, we, yeah, we thought we, there was no way. Like, but I don't think I approached you. I think you asked me. I don't think I, I might have asked you. uh I don't think I would have been like intimidated to ask you. I just don't think I could, I don't think I did because I think I would have assumed that you guys would want to do a record with like. Deep six or something,
0: yeah. You know, and so. But we were, as as weird as the locust was from the beginning until now, we were. It was always a mix of, like, we were into like, we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves to like, sure, what would it, be obvious.
1: But I don't think I knew that. Yeah, and uh,
0: you guys had just sort of like, we'd only done the split with Man as a Bastard and the split with Jenny Pickle. Yeah, I
1: mean, you, and in my mind, you had like very rapidly evolved from swing kids, uh-huh. even from struggle to swing kids uh-huh. to that to this. Locust just seemed like a um, I don't know like just an unprecedented thing for all of you guys sure. But I kn- and I knew like I would see these names on these flyers I and mean, there was association with like Crossed Out and mm-hmm. you know I- at the time Man is the Bastard which didn't like of course once we started playing with them like they were and I, even with Bottle like selling their records and stuff yeah. of course I figured out who they were but like Ironically
0: remember- and then they ended up becoming uh, putting a record out on Gravity Yeah and, you know. exactly
1: but I remember like even in the early I remember like I think I remember when Savalas played like Cell 63 or something, uh-huh. seeing these like charred remains flyers. Oh yeah, just thinking like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, you know? it, like it sounds so sounding. weird. Yeah. Like... So it was, so it I was thought a... Locust was trying to sort of like infiltrate that world, oh. and I don't think I, to me, you know, I was I, had, you know, the v, there was the VSS, like we were um, in the Bay Area. It was like all of this rock and roll revival uh-huh. thing going on. Oh yeah. Some of which was cool, like the audience and Starlight Desperation and stuff, and yeah. so I felt like naturally kind of like going towards that stuff because it seemed like it was more, you know, like more in a realm of like to rile people up, though, too, right? Well, I mean, I liked the idea of switching stuff up and like having rant having the record. Li- I liked the idea of the label being unpredictable, sure. But I also loved a particular kind of set, you know that post punky uh-huh. Echo and the Bunny Man. Mm, all those groups, kind of sound, Bauhaus and all that yeah. stuff, and to me, like there was a big thread of that running through those groups, Starlight, uh-huh. the audience and stuff. To me, like the there was like the <clears throat> the kind of purest rock and roll thing in San Francisco, Dura Delinquent, and these uh, bands that were like Stone, like Cock Rocky, Rolling Stones type uh-huh. retro, and then the people that were a little bit more combining that with something darker or something that, just a different kind of thing, Com- sort of like combining eras, like 60s and 80s kind uh-huh. of thing. That that combination was way more interesting to me than 60s only. Oh, sure. You know? Sure. Like the audience then? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Cool. So uh, so you guys came along, at right, when that was all happening, and uh, I know at the time I was thrilled to be able to add you into this mix of stuff, because I was like, this will really fucking, you know, like throw <laughs> uh-huh. them for a loop kind of thing, but... I do remember, remember when we were doing the 7-inch and just being like, just thinking to myself, like, wow, it's such a trip. These guys want to do this with me.
0: Yeah. You know? But I think, like, for us, we were, we were you know, for me, and, and I think Bobby and stuff and Dave Astor, like, we were all kind of, like, like psyched on the, a lot of the Gravity stuff, you know? And, like, those guys really liked Antioch Arrow. So it seemed like GSL and Gravity were, like, on this sort of same level, mm, you know, and aesthetically cool. and stylistically. and yeah. And so... We were kind of just like trying to also not be pigeonholed, like with I don't know, like his hero's gone or yeah. what, you know. Like we wanted to be like, we're the weirdos or like we're the like f- like fucked up dudes, yeah. Which is kind of funny because then we like started also obsessing over trying to have synthesizers and stuff, and I think that caused a lot of problems for for us. Uh, a lot of people like didn't like us because of that, which is great, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I, I I felt like oh it makes sense to to not be on. That other label ended beyond GSL. Yeah. So that, that, yeah. I that was cool.
1: I mean, I, I always just embraced the idea of mixing things up. And I, it was funny because I've been sitting here thinking about just other things that were occurring around the same time. And I remember, like, quickly realizing that this idea of this, like, Noah's Ark kind of label with, like, all one, two of every animal kind of thing, <laughs> like, wouldn't... Like, it was cool for me, like, at being Noah or whatever, uh-huh. you know? But, like, the all the animals wouldn't really get along. Sure. And I remember hanging... I remember hanging out outside Gilman, like, chatting with with Nick Offer from Outhood and Chick Chick Chick. And I can't, I can't remember what band, what record we were talking about doing, but I remember him, like, really being on the fence about doing a record with me because he was like I you know I just done a Starlight Desperation record and he was like we don't want you know we're we hate that rock and roll thing I mean, we don't <laughs> lo- we don't want to be rock and roll uh-huh, you yeah. know and we don't want to be lumped in with this thing going on in the Bay area and I th- and I just was like well I mean I think I remember using you guys as, as the example like mm-hmm. well locust isn't that yeah. you know and it was kind of like well yeah okay cool i mean the vss isn't that yeah, you know sure. like and of course ultimately they did the record or whatever yeah. but it was like after a while, like once the label I think was known for that, everybody just whatever, just kind of got on with their own thing. But yeah. at first, there was some sort of like a little bit of bristling about what it really was and what it meant to be associated with it or part sure. of it or whatever. Which which is weird because
0: I I mean I think like that's a a thing that all, a lot of the labels that we've been talking about, Gravity as well, and even Three One G, like it were where you would not really have a style because it's funny when people are like, oh, this is the I get this often like. This just sounds like a 3 one g band. You're like, what yeah. is it? What the hell is that? Exactly. You know, like what? Like yeah. so, I, what is a GSL band? Because you would, late later on, like even when the Locust stopped releasing records with you, we we would, you know, get I would get like your the new GSL record. Like what? What is this? This is crazy. Like I was not expecting this. You know, yeah, and it was cool. rad. You know, yeah. like um, even like the the that Mars Volta Tremulant EP. Mm-hmm. Like that was weird to hear. Or. I mean, some of it made sense, like the Spoonbender stuff and like the sort of synth heavy. But then but then you go back and you look and you see all that like kind of 60s rock. Yeah. So
1: I think it's rad. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, most of the decisions were made on a personal basis. Like <clears throat> it really helped to like the band. I mean, of course, I would have to like the band, of sure. course, but like it really helped to like the band as... As people, people, you know, mm. and really have a relationship with them, and and over time, I realized that one in situations where the band was amazing, but the people weren't, uh-huh. I just it wasn't a good time. Sure, and um, so so it's like a community, yeah. In a sense, yeah. I felt like it was, <laughs> and I and I and I, and that might have been a little bit uh, idealistic or, sure. or naive, but for me, it was because they were all my friends.
0: So that's an interesting thing because I feel like in San Diego when I was growing up and playing like in struggle even before I started playing in music in bands we would go to shows that would be this sort of mix of stuff I mm-hmm. mean one of the most odd things I had ever seen was I remember going to the che to because heroin was playing but they were playing with like a three-piece jazz band and it was like um it was you know it was, I think it was, I think it was like it was, maybe it was like guitar bass and drums uh, maybe a piano anyhow it was it was very traditional jazz and they were great heroin played and then it was like all oh, you can eat spaghetti. And you're like, that's weird. Wow. You, know? you know, and that was like the thing. And you're like, no, oh, that makes sense. And then later on it's like I, you know, struggle to play with like a reggae band and <laughs> like some like Earth Day thing, you know, or like um you know, and so I or like Crash Worship, you know, yeah. like it, that where does Crash Worship fit in? You know, so then it was yeah. like this mix of stuff. And so I feel like um that was to me it seemed like a San Diego thing. I don't know if it happened elsewhere, but a lot of people would look inwards at at the city and think like, what the hell are you guys doing? And that, and that fact that you can do whatever you want breeds, you know, drive like Jehu or whoever, you know, like, because you're, you're capable of not having parameters. And and so I felt like maybe GSL, maybe it was like that in Denver. I'm not sure, but maybe GSL embodied that sort of like mindset or like that way that it, that you created what you would, what GSL had become. Well, because we would do tours like GSL, like sort of like tours, yeah. with bands that people like normally wouldn't go see together us with so and so, yeah, vice yeah. versa, you know. Yeah. But to all of us, we were like, This is cool, yeah, the Peaches, you know, yeah, 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 yeah who, sure. or
1: no, it wasn't Peaches. Wait, you guys was, played, I mean, you guys, we did, we would, do, uh, you know, they play, I remember them playing a show at Gilman with you guys in Sunshine and, and Sunshine Star-Hands in and Audience, I mean, we, it was like basically, audience, a, yeah. And, who else? like? Uh, Sunshine, Starlight, Locust. Audience, I mean, a lot of it, peaches. like,
0: Dead and Gone, like, that makes sense. But then I remember we'd, like, throw in, like, uh, not... Who what was it after the Peaches. What was the band that they did that you put out after peaches The Pattern. Pa- the Pattern. Yeah. I'm sorry, okay. that's what I meant. We did a tour <laughs> with The Pattern and yeah. Dead and Gone. And yeah. I felt... I was so psyched to be with The Pattern. And those guys were cool. But I was, like, I felt bad for them. You know? I was, like, you guys are, like... Like, we're all hard, like, music. And you're, like, not. and yeah. And I feel like the people that were there typically were... Upset, but to, yeah. to you and us and the bands, it made sense. Yeah, you know, it was so much fun. And also
1: for them specifically at the time, like they were, that was a weird time, like post Strokes era, yeah. where there was like this possibility that bands like them would like totally bypass all that uh-huh. and go to this huge other level. And like those guys got signed to a pretty cool label in England, and like you know what I mean. Like they kind of like were a, a, had one foot in a whole other realm. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like they could have. You know, with enough plays on John Peel or something.
0: Music loving John
1: Peel. You know what I mean? They could have like taken off in Europe and or what have you. And so like, I mean, it's beside the point in a sense, but at the same time, like their their presence as part of this whole thing that we're talking about, um, like they were friends and they were part of the local scene that I was part of then in uh-huh. Oakland and Berkeley and stuff. And like, it was just like I love I loved their band. Uh-huh. And, like I wound up being in you know, Jim was in your future and stuff. Like still tight with all those dudes. But I, but in particular, I think for them at the time, it was like, I think it was like a convenient, like the proximity to GSL was convenient for them, for them Uh in particular, Uh because, um, I mean, we only did that one single. It wasn't really like they were were relying on us. It was just a way to kind of like cross sure pollinate or whatever. Like, make stuff aware to other people. And that's, there was never any higher hope than that. Okay. Um, so it was like a sort of stepping stone to get. Well, to I don't them. want to say that because I'm not like, no, because that sounds like I'm accusing them of like being. But that's not really an accusatory thing. I, I'll
0: say it. Bands do that with 3 g and I'll, I'll even say it like, Hey, put a record out with us and you'll probably be able to get more exposure and go on to yeah. where you should be well
1: yeah okay i mean, at the time i think that i think in the case of the pattern specifically the pattern did it at three or four or five for something singles all at once all on different labels mm-hmm. not on little Th- joey's bedroom label uh-huh. but like you know look out <laughs> put out one maybe kill rock stars at i think maybe gsl like uh-huh. and then something in england you know what i mean like yeah all like pretty like you know labels with their thing and yeah. like kind of in a way just sort of like you know everyone loved those dudes everyone knew chris from lookout so it was just sort of like yeah fuck i'll put out a single for you guys Yeah, why, why wouldn't i yeah, you know of course. like so but i i didn't So i ultimately what i'm trying to say is like i didn't feel like they in particular was like were like a flagship thing about for gsl necessarily uh-huh. but i do see what you're saying in the sense that it was this sort of like disparate stuff or or like uh juxtap- juxtaposing kind of stuff sure. to, to work in a sense uh-huh. but um I don't know. I, I just feel like I've totally gone off on this yeah. tangent about this. Like it was not that in, not that important.
0: No, it, it's interesting though. To me, I think I think it, it stemmed out of the fact that we would always, try, or like you would always try to like have an eclectic mix. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's important because I, the eclectic mix shows up in your own personal bands. Yeah. Um, so
1: I guess it's like in, in your, I don't know, DNA or something. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, I spent two years in South Africa when I was a kid and I don't remember it. But I feel like it's absolutely like you don't remember it at all. Not how old were you? Uh, like from six months to two and a half years oh, or something. Okay. You know, uh-huh. really young, uh-huh. uh, like right after I was born. Sure. Uh, but I absolutely think that 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 those two years totally are present uh-huh. in me somehow. Yeah. Wow. You know, like I've uh, I can't really tell you how, but like I have way more. Um, like at home, I kind of like I mostly listen to quote unquote black music. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And I, I'm the only person in my family like that. Uh-huh. I, I'm not the only one who lived in Africa at that time. And my parents never really cared about music that much. Yeah. But I do feel like somehow that that, like some kernel of that experience, like resonates with me and, and comes out that way or something. Oh, you know what I mean? So like, I've always been like having GSL be a multicultural thing for me, like <laughs> accessible to all kinds of people uh-huh. um men and women and sure all, other races or what yeah. have you like i, I don't want to say it was a point of the label because it wasn't i mean the, the point of the label was just to document these bands or mm-hmm. whatever and and to express myself and what was going on in my life but like maybe a subconscious point yeah it, it, yeah therefore like, it's pretty important yeah I mean, and it's it, sincere yeah i mean uh-huh. like i don't listen to strictly punk music yeah so the idea of having a record label that was strictly punk music just I probably entertained it for a short period of time mm-hmm. once, but I probably just got bored. You know, I mean like public enemy was my favorite band back then. Uh-huh. So I was probably looking was probably always open to something like that coming along. And it sure. wasn't until there was like subtitle or something yeah. like that where it was like, Oh well here's a dude who wants to do something with me. But yeah.
0: like um But even Public Enemy had that aspect, like they were, you know, doing stuff so with anthrax and they were yeah. they, you know, like um Terminator X has that song with Black Flag, yeah. uh, Rise Above. And, yeah. So there was like, there's this element where like, even they were also like entertaining other aspects of, yeah.
1: of, of art. and. I mean, I like I would, f- I remember, you know, like it's, it, there's those like um, stories about Minor Threat playing with, or other DC hardcore bands playing, doing these go-go shows or like playing with uh, kind of like funk bands uh-huh. or, or Trouble Funk. Um other people like that in DC and these, these shows that I don't think were like universally successful and in the sense that they spawned a movement of those bands playing together Uh or anything. But like those shows did happen in the really early eighties and, and in my mind sort of a set of precedent that that was a possibility, even though it wasn't really even embraced. And, and, and then to another extent, groups like bad brains who were like, you know, everybody always hated the reggae part of bad brains. But to me, like that was kind of the, like, I love the hardcore stuff, but oh. I the reggae part I always loved. And yeah. like wasn't like most punk kids who were like, fast forward to the next song or yeah, whatever, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, like, being aware of that stuff and being really into it and stuff, just kind of, um, I don't know, like em- embracing the, like, I don't know. I, I wanted GSL to be a really, like, dynamic, interesting thing mm-hmm. that wasn't pigeonholable as one cultural thing or another. And I, and I, and it's important to me to mix things up like that. So having it be all one thing or catering to one sound or one cultural identity just seems really boring. Sure. Do you think that maybe that mindset or that idea
0: or business platform is, is part of the reason why you struggled towards the end, I guess, uh, before you had called it quits with GSO? And let's, I mean, if we can, let's, let's start to talk about like your concept or your thoughts on like why GSL had to stop. Well, it's massive. And I, I'm yeah, sorry, sorry. it's
1: no, that's okay. Um, to answer the first part of your question, like, um, I think the label was ambitious in the sense that we were like trying to be maybe naively optimistic in, in the sense that that we were, um, where I felt like we could get away with putting out all these different kinds of things and arguably still be successful with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, there were precedents for it at the time. Like, you could put, look at a label like Sub Pop, for example. They didn't really just put out indie rock records. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of everything on there if you dig, you know. And um, even going back to, like, the, you know, Slayer, TSOL, Split 7-inch, mm-hmm. they did back in the, whatever, early 90s. Like, there's always there's lots of random one-off things there. And there's, like... Kind of the whole spectrum of music, you know, and I felt like they were they were a good example of something that that like the the identity of the label was enough to to be a vehicle for all these things that didn't necessarily like have anything to do with one another. So like more of like a branding. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I felt like that was possible with what we were doing, and I, and again, like we're the, the community thing was definitely there because like you know, I mean, subtitle was on tour with. Go, 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 Earhart or the Mars Volta or, the, you know, and the everybody was like making the effort of mm-hmm. like, you know, working together and trying to achieve a, a common goal kind of thing with it. But um having said that, I, I think it's naive to think that like the average kind of like person who listens to mainstream music and gets into a band like the Mars Volta, it's going to simply buy a by, because of the association of all these other groups, get into them. Mm-hmm. It seems, you know, there might be one in 10 kids who loves them who really loves The Locust and buys mm-hmm. all those records. But Like, the chances
0: up, are that people that like The Mars Volta would like The Pattern and not The Locust.
1: Yes. I mean, that's one. I mean, possibly that's one mm-hmm. example. I, I, you know, I, I think that they just appeal to such a Chili Peppers kind of audience mm-hmm. in a sense. Like, the, I mean, there's the hardcore, like, people who buy Underground Records, yeah. you know, yeah. and then there's like, I mean of course there's a whole spectrum of people, but like when you get to that level on a on a huge label and you're like the band is everywhere, mm-hmm. naturally the audience becomes very the audience becomes less uh specialized to what they're do to what this band and this culture is uh-huh. and more, you know, generic. I, I don't know how sure, else to okay. say it. Like the more just like uh but very various pass, passive listeners, mm-hmm. passive fans. You know? P- people I was not
0: special. As, well, it's special, but not special like punk or They're, something.
1: Well, I, it's hard to say. I mean, it's. Re- I don't mean to generalize, but I'm just saying, like when you when you become a hugely successful or hugely visible major label band, you the audience that you might be used to catering to, real specialized un- people who pay attention to underground music and mm. and are familiar with a whole c- cultural shape of this thing. Sure. You know, like uh, once it goes beyond that all these new people might not care about all the other yeah. stuff that's... Yeah. So, you know, so, like, the, Mar- the Mars Vault's presence on GSL was, a, you know, it was like a, a... Like, those guys aren't naive. Like, uh-huh. coming out of the gate, it looks better to be on GSL for your first record than to be on a major label. Like, that... And we all knew... We all understood that. That was why we did what we did. The like, Tremulant EP. Yeah, uh-huh. like, it would... You know, like, it might not make a difference now, but 15 years ago, it still made a difference... How you were perceived uh-huh. as a band, and you, what your relationship was to to, to it, corporate I guess it America, credibility. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you can look at it now and and say, "Oh, well, that was like you know, conniving or whatever." Like on or, whose part? Well, you could say that the band were kind of being oh. um, manipulative in a sense, because uh-huh. like, or I mean, any band like that, any band, sure. you know, but like that was a very interesting
0: point of, of of the industry because. I mean, I dealt with it with the Blood Brothers, same same thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I, you know, I don't think it's even necessarily something for people to be embarrassed about. You're kind of like proving that you have some sort of like credibility before mm-hmm. you like sell out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. And like, if it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to sell out, like it was when the Mars Volta started, because they were an enormous, they were you know like killed one enormous thing and then had a bidding war over the next thing like you know what I mean it was like it was it wasn't an accident that they were that they were big right away I don't think okay you know I remember I remember having a discussion with a friend of ours here when they were going to play the brick by brick before they had a record out and it was kind of like dude you should come and see them play the brick by brick because you're never going to see them in a place like this again and he was like well yeah you hope so I'm like no, I don't hope so. I couldn't care less if they fucking play in a garage for the rest of their career. But Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, like, this thing is not going to be in the brick by brick for very long. Mm -hmm. Take my word for it. Like, I I know what's going on behind the scenes. Sure. You know, like there's way too many people like chomping at the bit to have a, to to, to see this for what it is. Like you might think that these are just kids playing punk music still, but it's, it's gone beyond that yeah and so and there's nothing wrong with that Everything so that was like change. the early version of Mars Volta yeah right at the uh-huh. beginning and, it, and and so you know we I partnered with Omar while we were doing the de facto record which came first mm-hmm. and um, there's nothing contrived about that there was mm-hmm. nothing there was no there was no um, strategizing de facto was a pure thing that they did for fun that they loved it was music that wasn't commercial that they were doing like I mean, to go from being, from this like stardom of at the drive-in to saying like, we're a dub reggae band. Mm -hmm. It was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you may as well say you're like a Dixieland. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, was so, for most people, so incongruous and and random. And I was like, awesome, you know? Like, (laughs) I love that music. Uh Let's do a record together. Uh You know? And so. Which is funny because I don't, I don't like that music at all. Yeah.
0: And um, I was, and I remember like, the Locust played shows with them, and then we did. We were supposed to do a whole European tour. I before it became Mars Volta, yeah. and I, I was like, "That's cool. Let's tour the band that's fucking dub and <laughs> Like, cannot stand that
1: music. But I like those guys so much. Like, that'll be that'll yeah. be great. But imagine how like on paper. Imagine how how eclectic that tour was. Like, sure. you guys, Elektra Lachman, those bunch of German. Women paying tribute to Fugazi, like that's yeah. pretty unusual, Yeah. even now probably. <laughs> um, and then them, yeah, like you know, yeah. like What am, we would be the odd band out of that, that bit uh, on that bill. Although, yeah, although you would have been the draw. You would have been. It would have been your audience seeing them. I guess, but it was still a little difficult once. Once they pulled off that tour, yeah, that's first. right. Because Defacto had toured Europe and had been successful touring uh-huh. Europe, and they had billed the shows as Defacto presents the Mars Volta, Mars Volta yeah. But um, anyway, I can't remember what my point was. But uh, well, look,
0: we were trying to figure out this like sort of like lin- linear perspective
1: on like what how it came to a stop. GSO. Okay, so yeah, I mean, uh, the short version. Um, even though I spent <laughs> a lot of time make, talking about the long version. Um, we put out, in my opinion, the, the direction of the label was compromised because we were, it was very difficult to keep up with the demand for the Mars Walters records, okay? So producing a massive amount of records, repressing records, triple record jackets, all this stuff picture discs and all this stuff. So like, are, you,
0: are you talking about the, the full lengths that were also, were they co-released with another label?
1: Yes. So um, they, uh, were, they were signed, first of all, to Universal Records and then later to Warner Brothers. And um, their, their deal with those labels allowed for their own label, i.e. GSL, because uh-huh. we were partners by then. To have the rights to issue the vinyl of okay. their records, and so we did that for all their all the records, with the exception of, uh, well, up until the one that was the Grammy winner, which actually came out on um, Universal put that one out themselves okay. because GSL was done. Okay, so keeping up with the demand for those records, keeping them in print and everything, was was a huge undertaking, and. Um, it, was, it created very significant cash flow problems all the time. Because you would have to invest in putting the records out there yes. and not getting your return. Yeah, ruined. and waiting for the uh-huh. big more M check six months later or yeah. something like that. Um, so there was that issue. There was also the fact that I was still coming from a Discord frame of mind where I didn't want to charge... Too much for the records, mm-hmm. and I and I ha, was hung up always on on pricing the records, and the guys in the band and the and the, and the Mars Volta and basically every other band were real hands off. They trusted us to to take care of that end of things mm-hmm. and just whatever, and um, you know we weren't selling those records for enough. Like yeah. everything was too cheap. And even, but you were not losing money on them. Well, no, but I mean, we weren't certainly weren't making the kind of profit that we probably should have to Mm -hmm. really run a sensible business. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was uh, all of this was compounded too by by this idea that like at least I was kind of using the Mars Volta to, to expose these other groups. Sure. And I felt like it was just a matter of time till we were going to start really breaking these bands um, to their audience, Uh you know, or or something. Like, I, I, you know. uh, So the like later releases on
0: GSM. Yeah. Uh And
1: and so we were, you know, basically just like putting out too many, too much stuff Mm -hmm. too often. You also get into a routine. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, like at that level with a distribution thing where it's like, You kind of just, I see it happen with some, you know, with the alternative tentacle. I mean, everybody, especially like, I'm I'm certainly, it's not Mordem's fault or anything like that. But at the time I noticed it happening with a lot of those labels, just this falling into this routine of putting out stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Like whether it's the best thing you could put out or not, like just like it becomes at some point kind of like, essential part of maintaining the regularity of everything to keep having stuff come out. Yeah. If you have these periods where there's not stuff coming out, it kind of messes everything up. It mm-hmm. gets really difficult. And it's like two two opposite forces. You know what I mean? Like this hugely popular group that required all these resources, a whole bunch of other groups that were taking resources and not really uh-huh. regenerating them. Um, so you had just money going out and like not coming back exactly. fast enough or in the right... Exactly. Yeah. And and then, you know, things were changing with de- with everything about the music industry. The download, you know, the iPod came out uh-huh. and like, you know, <laughs> like the Christmas, the iPod, like the, like, you know, the iPod came out in the following, whatever Christmas it was, 2000, let's say, seven or eight or something. Uh-huh. Whenever it was that the iPod really like went global. Yeah. Like our, our distribution check from more than uh, for, who would it be at that point I think it was Red Eye or something uh-huh. but our our check like fell in half the uh-huh. next, like, it, it was permanently like the iPod came out and a month later we got the sales report and it was like it had like the bottom half of it had just fallen away huh. and it and never that, it never came back yeah. and it was like wow that little machine just like completely killed half of what we're doing yeah but we were still you were still manufacturing CDs Yeah, which was, in hindsight, like, really short-sighted and foolish Mm. and, like... um, But no one really could have seen that coming. No, and I I know we definitely weren't the only people doing it and getting stuck with them, but, man, if I... I I don't have regrets about it, because everything happens, I think, for the way it's supposed to happen, but if I did have the opportunity to go back and undo any of that stuff or redo it, I would definitely, like, press... Less of everything, mm-hmm. and you know, fewer records overall, fewer titles, but not get. There's a certain amount of like bravado that you start by, like you kind of like, yeah. You know, well, we're gonna sell this many thousands of this thing, or like you know, we have to make this many. Like it's it's like we're we're not being optimistic if we only press five hundred. You know, or yeah. uh, you know, you can rationalize it any number of ways, but like it's also easy to just fall into a routine and think you're doing the right thing or think that something is just a lull that's going to change and go back to the way things were. And like, even though it's a small business and you're like right there seeing how things are going, it's it's also, at least I was finding it easy to, to, to finding it difficult to react quickly enough. Sure. To know how to react uh-huh. to things that were going on. And so, yeah, we just had money going out. Um... The the records were costing more and more. We were, we were hiring publicists by that point. The last couple of years, uh-huh. like every record, every album would cost, you know, five to ten thousand dollars just on the marketing part. Yeah, and would sell. I mean, no one sold records like you guys did. Mm-hmm. Like who? Locust. Oh, uh. you know, the Mars Volta. The Mars Volta is head and shoulders above everybody okay, else. Yeah, yeah. But as far as every other band on the label goes, there's a couple of you know the Chick 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 album did great. Uh-huh. And, there was other. There were you know the we did a twelve inch that did great. There's uh-huh. things here and there that did were really big and successful. But like as far as consistent numbers or even you know even just b- the idea of breaking even or breaking a thousand records, mm-hmm. um, got more and more harder, to difficult, yeah. and less likely. And it started seeming like by 2004, 2005, like. 2000 seemed like the golden years, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, the things that were possible in 2000 were absolutely no longer possible by 2005 for Mm -hmm. us. Unless we were, like, really willing to completely change the way we were doing things and adapt and, you know, probably would have been wise to hire some young people who were more savvy about, you know, social media as it was coming up. Uh And like, But by that point, I was like, you know, personally speaking, I had... Social media like barely existed. Well, yeah. I mean, that was like the dawn of like, that was still MySpace and then the dawn of Facebook and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, um, yeah, I mean, you know, like I, we had a cool website, but it could have pr- probably been cooler, mm-hmm. you know? And, but by that point, I was, you know, I had been doing the label for 12, 13 years and was, um, had largely accomplished everything I'd ever set out to do with it, which was really nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense, like I, I never had a goal in mind. You know, like I'm not, I'm a driven person, but a person and, a, and a, an ambitious person, but when it comes to goals, like core black and white things I want to accomplish, um, I haven't had that many in my life. I've just kind of like it been. It's been more generalized than that. Like I know what I want to be doing. And I know what feels right, or what mm-hmm. have you, and another thing that I'm interested in, and and that I, the ideas that I want to try and propagate in the world. And so, so maybe like the the label was like, I don't know, like the link to you becoming more
0: of a design artist. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I mean, because correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't like your first kind of like shot. At it like designing was like the Locust record cover.
1: Yeah, I that mean, that was, was certainly, yeah, that was like, um, we just, c- certainly my like, first Photoshop attempts and things like that. Yeah. Like, I learned digital art. I learned how those programs work. Julie and I have kind of learned to get, she, I mean, she sort of learned and then taught me. Uh-huh. Um, but to make your record, that first 12 inch, and to do the Starlight Desperation record, which was virtually the same time. Uh-huh. Um, what was the cover of that? It's pink and blue, and it's kind of like oh, this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> um, and, yeah. Uh, You know, I had gone to school to do art Uh and, like, completely got uh, distracted by music. And Uh I finished school and got an art degree, but, like, couldn't have cared less about it. Uh And, like, was running a club, was in a band on tour all the time, was putting on shows for... Which club? This place in Boulder called Club 156, which Uh was on campus, like, in the student union. Uh Um, So I managed that place for two years and booked it. And... um, You know, like, art just became less and less important. Like, I mean, I would do the art for these records that were these, you know, the angel hair thing, I would take a lot of pride in doing the art for it. But Uh I, like, school art and stuff I was supposed to be learning and and techniques I was supposed to be mastering, theoretically, Uh like, just totally were not even important to me. And so I squeezed by and, and graduated and, you know... By the time the label was winding down, it was sort of like I, I was starting to feel I had been creating art for GSL for advertising and occasionally for record covers and stuff like that. Your records and stuff, mm-hmm. but um, I was feeling like I had neglected that part of mm-hmm. me, and and I was burnt on quote unquote business. But your but the GSL's like design or like style, like
0: artistic style, was your style. Like it, it, it like even now, like in reference to your book. It seems like GSL to me. I mean, it's definitely been fine-tuned and become something else. But you, you know, you, for so long you would see it, like in the the, the, the fonts and the way the yeah. text was laid out and the way some of the color schemes were. Like it it was your,
1: you could tell you were driving huh. it. You know? That's interesting. Well, that's cool to hear. First of all, like that's that that I mean, and I know like that the book, the you know, the Headspaces font is the same as the VSS font. So uh-huh. like it wasn't an accident. I just do love that font though, yeah. too. Um, but earlier on, you'd said something about how, like, GSL and Gravity sort of, like, seemed on this even keel or something at that point. And, like, I mean, there was no single bigger influence on GSL as Gravity. I mean, like, Gravity was, like, like what he was doing was totally just, for me, like, a complete, uh, like, reimagining of the whole idea of, of punk records, uh-huh. you know? And um, the thing is that I, I was so impressed with it. And so was kind of in awe in it. And so immediately like disillusioned by all the copycat stuff that happened instantly. Like, I mean, within a few months of those, um, those envelope records coming out now the not in the paper bag record so much, but like the envelope thing just got copied endlessly. Yeah. And the whole, um, you know, Matt kind of developed that thing where he would like typewrite with for the typewriter mm. and then, and then write over it, you mm. know, reach, actually trace the letters with a pen or a pencil too. Mm-hmm. So I had this doubled up weird effect that was pretty unique to heroin at, at first. Yeah. That was everywhere within a few months, mm-hmm. you know? And so the whole thing just was so accessible and so easy to do, it just became dumb. Sure. Um, and, or, bo- you know, boring. Uh-huh. And so my whole thing with GSL was like, I felt like the way to distinguish what we were doing and... and give it its own aesthetic was to do what we did with your record with the seven inch was to make the most plastic record possible uh-huh. instead of doing instead of having it be the most um you know crafty or papery uh-huh. or, or like hand, hand done thing yeah. yeah instead to just like even though i i appreciated that aesthetic and i thought it was really cool i felt like gravity had already cornered the market on it yeah. and to like to do the same thing would be redundant and dumb and to do regular stuff would just be to just do regular stuff yeah. and so I felt like what can we do that would be a nod to that that's the opposite and sure. so it was like let's just make this thing let's put it in a plastic sleeve uh. the thickest kind of plastic sleeve possible you but know? we kind of I mean the Locust 7 inch was like we just wanted
0: it to look like that VSS seven inch. Yeah, the, with the not the full back cover, but that was also to
1: showcase the vinyl, yeah. which I thought was. You really know, cool. I totally forgot about that VSS seven inch. You're absolutely right. That yeah. I forgot we did that. So that that's where the idea for that came from. Yeah, it was like, well, okay, you know, it was,
0: it was. Well, that's funny too because it was sort of. Maybe it wasn't cheaper, but you were like printing just like a piece of paper that wasn't even a full fourteen inches long. Yeah. But it but it was so much cooler to the fan because you could just instantly see like what the vinyl looked like. Yeah. You know, yeah. Exactly. And I, I thought
1: that that was like, and then of course all the different colors of records mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I just <clears throat> I felt like that was the solution to that it, to that design problem. Yeah. You know. And uh, but yeah, the VSS thing was the yeah. I mean that was, I guess, the prototype for it in a sense, but even even that was, like, not... I mean, it, it definitely was that idea, but I felt like the locust thing took it to the next sure. stage because there I were do, so many yeah. versions of it. Well, I know? do
0: see the shift from, like, the Angel Hair 7-inch to the VSS 7-inch because it was... Angel Hair 1 was more, like, that kind of organic-y, like, crafty, and then the VSS was more, like... Photoshop. Pla- plastic is a good example. Like, yeah. it just seemed, like, almost, like, like a japanese toy you know like it was so cool like like a i don't know like megatron or something you know and definitely with the Locust stuff it was like bright colors and contrasting and campiness and you know even like the use of all the camouflage shit you know like and then put like bright colors on it and whatever so um yeah that, that seemed to be like but then i i do always would always assume or like associate um gsl stuff with like very vibrant bright Colored stuff, huh. where like that gravity stuff, or a lot of like that stuff from that era was like earth, muted earth tones yeah. and, and you know. yeah.
1: Well, first of all, they're using uncoated paper for everything, so all the ink is, is soaking into the paper and getting dull. Okay. So nothing yeah. has any re- reflective yeah. v- value. Well, nothing and but, and like they're using cardboard and spray yeah, yeah, paint, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah <laughs> exactly. So, um, but that's interesting. I've never, I've never really thought about it that way. But I, I see, I see your point. Uh-huh. And I get well, yeah. you know, it's funny though too because. Um, for me, uh, I
0: like putting out the my first record, the Unbroken seven inch. I, I, uh, it was like I want to start this label and put out Unbroken, and the, and so for Unbroken they had already done records with like New Age records, and it was glossy and it was like very photo like not a Photoshop but just like I don't know slick like, slick pro and, I, and um and. Uh, and they, they wanted to go like the gravity way, you know, they yeah. wanted it to be like rubber stamps, which was influenced by Bob Vinyl Communications and gravity. Sure. And, and and so I was like, I wanted it to be, I didn't want it to be like arts and crafts. I wanted, I was like, okay, like, let's do a record. It's going to be rad and it's going to look good. And they're like, no, we want it to look <laughs> shitty, like as shitty as possible. And I was like, what? And I was kind of confused, but it worked out in my my first record putting out, you know, on a, on a label, starting a label that worked out great for me because the costs were nothing. Yeah. Which is funny because then you think like, why a lot of that stuff started? I mean, all the use of those those envelopes was was a was a brilliant idea. Even the plot, the paper bag thing that that Matt yeah. was a brilliant idea. It really it really was, yeah. it was saved a lot little... of money and it, and no one ever had done that before. Yeah. But yeah. you're right, it got ruined. It got yeah. It got I mean, anything
1: that's that easy to do is just like that's my big problem with punk ideology in general like DIY is an awesome idea and I'd certainly like been the motor behind everything I've done for most of my life but I, I think like being able to DIY do it you know doing it yourself means anybody can do it and that mm-hmm. throws the doors open to a bunch of people who just don't who aren't very creative uh-huh. and so like that's why hardcore is as generic as it is you know like <laughs> at, just to use one example like so it's it it's a bit of a catch 22. Like I totally believe in the, in the idea, in the ideology of do it yourself. And even if you're making redundant, repetitive stuff, the fact that you're doing it is better than not doing it. But does, does the world need to, do you need to share it with the world? I don't know. Like, I think we're totally going off on a tangent, but I, I I feel like a lot of people aren't honest with themselves or are, or are, um, man, you know, the same could be said for me. Like, I'm not suggesting that I'm any kind of exception to this, but Uh I think like, the world is full of redundant ideas, and it, I think the joy of creating music or expressing yourself isn't enough for a lot of people. They have to share it with people, uh-huh. <laughs> or and it's becoming easier. And to it's do becoming that. easier, yeah. and and in the sense, it's becoming easier to be good. Uh-huh. Um, and and this arguably, there's more talented musicians and performers living right now mm. than there ever has been before. Like I understand all those things, but I also think that like you know when you are contributing to a culture that welcomes everybody's contribution, you're bound to start getting contributions that are just kind of like substandard because sure. in the spectrum of human behavior, there's always going to be people phoning it in. You know what I mean? There's always going to be people who are just doing it. To, there's going to be the people who are doing it to drive themselves and and evolve and and create something new and communicate. And there's people who are doing it just to be part of something or to contribute to something they love or whatever, but they just don't for whatever reason... They're not, they're not pushing them, you know, like, and again, I, gosh, it's like, this is such a can of worms. Cause like, what is creativity and what is validity of something? Like, it's totally subjective. Every person has sure. a different opinion of that. That was kind of the point with putting these punk rockers on the cover of the Angel Hair record. It was like, just to, to like drive the point home. Like this thing is so generic already, <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's as meaningless as insects. It's tiny. Yeah. It's like, doesn't, uh, uh. it doesn't, it doesn't. It's like a microscopic thing that goes on and then you grow up and you kind of like... That's what that cover was from. That's what it means to me. Fuck, that's crazy.
0: I was drawn towards the punk aspect. I was like, that's crazy. Because at that point, we had already sort of denounced like... Spikes and and Doc yeah. Martin, you know we were and, and I was like, what the fuck does that do with the mohawk? And then yeah. I thought like, whoa, bugs are cool, you know like I don't know like pre locust kind of like art, or whatever. Yeah. So I was like, this is this is a fucking rad record cover, and I don't understand it.
1: Oh well, good. I mean that's good and that's cool too. And, and like the, it, like it doesn't, you know, I don't I don't necessarily need for anybody to understand uh, it. And like yeah. my I, my yeah. concept for it doesn't need to be anyone else's certainly. It's, but it's very interesting. But that picked that picture of that guy. Um, that advertisement that that's from, like, I, you know, I'm sure you probably can relate. Like, I used to buy an MRR every month mm-hmm. religiously for probably, I don't know, five or six years. I mean, I just, I like, I would be there waiting for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was so important. And there was so much in it. And yet, the stuff that was, the stuff that stood out more than any, the, the, the things that seemed the most peculiar about it were the things that never changed. Like it was such a, an important, timely thing. It had so much dynamic information in it that would change from month to month that the things that wouldn't change about it became conspicuous. So there was these ads for these companies. One of them was Subterranean Records, the mm-hmm. mail order company. They had this ad with these cartoon Apple cores talking to each other. And I was like, someone's idea of a joke because it's hardcore music and mm-hmm. it's Apple cores. And so, this totally silly ad with these Apple cores chit-chatting about how to mail order ran month after month after month for, like, years. Mm-hmm. It was like, can't anybody at Subterranean come up with a new ad for their shit? Like, mm-hmm. this is so <laughs> redundant, you know? And, like, that's just one example. There was uh-huh. an... I guess in a way, it's just like, you could look at it and be like, who really cares about it? You know, like, these guys were probably busy or whatever. But at the time, like, <laughs> this thing was, like, an important thing to me. Culturally, yeah. it was like, like, and if you weren't keeping up with changing, if you didn't have something new to say every month, it kind of became this cartoon. And I and I saw these labels just re-upping this ad every month, running the same ad for the same record two, three years in a row. Like, and it was like, huh. who the fuck is buying this record? Yeah, like, yeah. And like who's this band? Like this thing is so, and so it almost became like a, you know, back in the day when you'd be like the Cal Worthington commercials, you know? uh-huh. like you know, like everybody knew the song because yeah. the commercial was always on. Yeah. It was like something like that. Like everyone yeah. knows this ad because it's always in the paper. No one's going to buy the record. No one even knows who the shit is anymore. Yeah. It's just like another part of punk that has become this silly cartoon of itself. And that's huh. what I was getting at. And like, that's lo- I realize that's like totally not obvious, and not even. Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, and like, it's not as though we were like reinventing. The- like, what were we doing that was so unique? Nothing. We were just well, like another generation of stuff contributing to this. Like, that's very that's very humble of you to say that. But like, you did that record was
0: in our little you know microcosm of a world was was groundbreaking. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. And, I, mean, I mean, people were like, what the fuck is this? Musically, lyrically,
1: the way it looked, everything was different. And we were like,
0: huh, that's just weird. Cool. Yeah, and, I mean, and
1: that part of it is, I guess, maybe it's cool to hear that because it's a little bit, I'm a little too close to it to really, of remember, course. you know what I mean?
0: Which maybe makes it, takes it to that point where it's like so sincere because you had no fucking yeah. idea. But to everybody else, we were all like, holy crap, this thing is really weird. Wow. So it was the opposite of the hardcore ad the, the that, apple core ad. That's cool. And that, <laughs> yeah. and that was
1: so that's to me that's like the true like uh-huh. that record is is a, success is a success because of that uh-huh. because like uh I mean it's just transcended the, like you know what I mean it's uh-huh. like it's it's totally achieved its point in yeah. in a, in, a, in a way and that's really amazing because it was born out of something that was just kind of like our weird commentary mm-hmm. on something that like that you know uh, I don't think any of us ever expected sure any it to resonate with anybody in in a in a, in a over any period of time. Yeah. You know? all that stuff was meant to communi- be communicated with people immediately in that yeah. moment, you know, and and then that's how I think you know, everybody was looking at it at that
0: time. I mean, yeah. Now it's weird, you know, to be like in our 40s or you know like I I think when we were like doing that in our teens and our 20s it was always like right now is all that i like you, you know our our folk my at least yeah. me and all my bandmates and friends it was like we didn't look past like the next month yeah. you know like let
1: alone like 20 years yeah. it was just kind of like right now is what it is yeah isn't that crazy I, yeah i mean and i think about how long all these bands lasted and it's like it's almost inconceivable mm. you know and i think it's been like 10 years since the last time i was in a Band, a band that tried to be a functioning band. Mm-hmm. Um, who I've been, like, you know, kind of, like, wishing would actually try and, like, all get back together and do something together Which what band? Optional Body. Oh, okay. I would love for Optional Body to actually do wow. something. That was ten years ago. Uh-huh. Like, that's... To me, it seems like... A, I don't know, last year or something, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, seems yeah. like not that much has happened between so, then and now. Uh-huh. Like, musically, for me. Uh-huh. Uh, or even for any of us, you know what I mean? Like everybody who was in that band 10 years ago, hasn't really done much since then. We've all like gotten bit, gotten on with our lives and had jobs and careers or what have you. Some people have gotten married and stuff. Like it's not as though as people, we've just been treading water. Like we've all things have happened and stuff. And yet like that band to me is like still where my heart and my mind are. If Mm -hmm. I, if I was going to be in a band tomorrow, I would want to be in that band. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and it's just so weird to think of like, the span of time since that was even happening is double the time that the VSS and Angel Hair existed yeah. combined. Uh-huh. You know, like cool. that's just hard to understand. Yeah, you know, like it, that. Wow. And it was only a few songs. Optional body was yeah. like yeah, about eight songs. Oh, is that many? Okay. There's only a couple on that record, but yeah. we wrote a bunch more. Uh-huh. And Russell's got all these like Russell recorded every rehearsal, and so uh-huh. he's got them all like. Every now and then I'll get like it's email with these random things attached. <laughs> it's like, you know, you could just add vocals to this and we can, we can mix it. And he's, uh, we could, yeah. or we could just go in and really record the songs and make a record like yeah. we should have in the first place. Yeah. Month. So I don't know, but. So what's, what's stopping you? I don't know. Nothing, nothing really, nothing is stopping us except us. I mean, like everyone, yeah. those three guys all live in LA mm-hmm. and like three different corners of LA, but still in yeah. all in LA regardless. And, uh. I would drive there every weekend if I knew it would amount to something. Maybe they'll hear this and be like, all right. And I've said it to all, I've said (laughs) it, maybe I haven't said it to Rocky recently, but Uh I've said it to Russell and I've said it to Alan. Like those guys know, like, um, they know I would love to do it. Yeah. Um, And they're busy and they have, you know, like everyone's got stuff going on in their lives. But I think, you know, I don't think anybody would necessarily not like to do it. I think it's just the effort it would take to make it happen. I don't know if it's there. Yeah.
0: You know? But maybe some of those things take time to like, make it relevant
1: yeah you might be right
0: in the era of reunion shows or yeah whatever, you know not that that would be a reunion but
1: no but, all... i mean i mean in the sense it would, <laughs> but i you know and every now and then there's you know the discussion comes up with guys in the other bands and mm-hmm. like you know it's not it's not it's i don't think it'll ever be completely ruled out the v, The vss thing seems like a really like a long shot mm-hmm. i think the angel hair of the two that would be more likely but even that i don't I, you know yeah i don't know but um the one I would want to do would be optional Body, the one that would make me feel like we were doing something cool or whatever. uh, Well, productive. Probably because it never got the chance to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. And it was never, it would never reached its like potential. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I I love all these dudes that I've been in these bands with, but like those three guys are still like, I still talk to them all all the Mm -hmm. time or see them and like, they're like three of the best friends of my life. Mm -hmm. Like nothing would make me happier than like to do a record with them and, go on tour or like, like whatever that, you know yeah. it would be really you know like that would be really cool yeah but um short of that I, I don't feel unfulfilled in any way and so like at the same time like without this without the personal thing for me anymore like like the art the, for me for me making art making visual art is really like what I want to do sure and I love contributing to music and like doing stuff with my friends and so if that's possible simultaneously uh-huh. I'm happy to do it I, I love to do it like, like this now I mean y- yeah well exactly. the Planet B song and yeah, stuff yeah yeah but mm-hmm. the idea of doing a long distance project on a whole album and a whole, with yeah. people I don't know yeah like, of course just
0: you know it's well then it also becomes that thing where it's not special it's not you yeah. know you're not it's like putting out a band that you don't know. Yeah, you know, exactly. And it would
1: be different if I was like a young kid who wants to be a singer in a hardcore band. He's yeah. like, well, these guys, like, I'll just move to the other side of the country and join <laughs> yeah. the band. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it'll be awesome. Uh-huh. But that, that's not the situation. And like, you know, like uh-huh. it's the personal part of it that sure. that's, that's, appeals to me now, yeah. you know. It's interesting.
0: So that was our conversation with Sonny K. Um, be sure to check out his book that he just put out headspaces. Um, you can get it from the 3 G website and um, check out what Sonny's done in the past. Check out Angel Hair, VSS, and um, definitely check out what GSL was and uh, its importance, uh, I think, in musical history.
1: Yep, yep, definitely. Bands, artists, just take notes on his history and see what he did just by himself for bands and with bands and, you know, just utilize that and be original.
0: Yeah cool um and stay tuned and uh check out our uh, upcoming future podcasts